0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good. Uh, I always at family camp always completely forget the fact that it's only Monday. I always feel like we're, you know, at least Wednesday by the time uh, this rolls around. But welcome. Happy Monday. I know some people are still walking in. Um, How many people, if you don't mind raising your hand, you don't have to, I'm not forcing you to, first time family campers here? Man. I just want to say, um, don't feel bad if you don't know like every single motion to every single song in Family Huddle. I, I was there for several years. It, it, it'll take a second, but you'll get there. It's totally fine. Glad that you're here. I'm going to start us off with prayer, and then we'll dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for the opportunity, truly, uh, to gather together, even just hearing about Mission Eurasia. The fact that we can gather together in this country, worship you, sit comfortably in seats, open up your word, Lord, uh, to study, but not just to study, um, to experience you in our minds, yes, but also in our hearts and and thinking about how we're going to apply this to our everyday life, so that our relationship with you is not just in some sort of church bubble, some sort of uh, gathering um, situation, but wherever we are, it's not just what we do, it's who we are. And so, God, I pray that you continue to work on us. Search us, Lord. Search us. Test us. If there's anything offensive in us, please, Um, we want to be refined by you. Please. We love you. We trust you. We invite you in in a special way because we are gathered in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I forgot to say this yesterday, so I wanted to say today, Uh, my wife, Ange, um, she oftentimes says when talking about how the Holy Spirit can convict Conviction, of course, is not a push down. It's a hand up. It's a, hey, what are you doing over there? Come on. Over here, buddy. Over here. Okay, but it's not a a stomp down. It's not a condemnation that whenever the Holy Spirit, whenever God convicts us, for some reason, uh, sometimes we get mad like, ah, and she oftentimes says, you don't get mad at a dishwasher for getting your dishes clean. You don't get mad. At a washing machine for washing your clothes. Don't get mad at God for just trying to clean, clean us. So uh, anyway, if you get any of that today or throughout this week, it's good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, all right. We're going to start off with something that I like to do. Um, it's, it's called a, a metacognition exercise because metacognition just means knowing what you know. Knowing what you know. So why is it important to know what you know? Well, uh, I was a professor for uh, several years, and one of the things that I learned about with students, whether they're adult students or traditional college-age students, is many times they would just study everything, but a third of it they already knew. And it's like, no, no, no. If you know what you know, then you know better what you don't know, what, what your gaps are. You become more aware of what you don't know. And so uh, whenever you're leading, if you're leading in ministry with students or youth um, or young adults or even adults, and you, and you start to get a story, for instance, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Daniel. Okay, what do you know about Daniel? You always want to start with a metacognitive exercise to pull up whatever they do know. Okay, whatever they do know. And then you're like, ooh, okay, I see what they know, or I see what they think they know. And now I can focus my attention on the fuller story, right? If you don't do this, then people just hear and usually reinforce what they already know, recognition memory instead of recall memory. And it just, it, it doesn't fill in the gaps as much. Okay, that's way too much on that topic. That wasn't even in my notes. Here we go. All right, metacognition. So what did we talk about yesterday? That, that's all I'm looking for. Uh, shout out to me, what are some things that we talked about yesterday um, that, we're, that we took away from session one equip I heard equip yes equip and navigate social dilemmas very very good um, social dilemmas okay how and not just what how I mean what is important but it's not just what what else Strangers, and what else do we have? Strangers and what? Strangers, family, anything else? Uh, The strangers, right? Oh-ha! You're awake! I love it. Okay, all right. All right. Challenge. Okay. Empower. Good. What else? What do we do with the strangers? Provide. Good. Provide and what? Respect. That. Oh, that's the hard one. That's the hard one. What else? Anything? What'd you say? Yeah, two different social limits, right? What else? Pearls and pigs. Yes, sorry, I didn't understand that at first. Pearls and pigs, which we also had we had barbecue pork wings last night. Did that confuse anyone else when you read that on the menu? I was like, pigs don't fly. There's a joke here somewhere. Did they have Red Bull? Like, what, what, what happened here? I don't know what's... Okay. All right. Anything else? Prayer. Yeah, let's just go through. So we have prayer as the first part of this social dilemma process. Okay. We talked about social dilemma process here. Uh, the very first thing you do is prayer, and then you have you make a, a a deciphering on whether or not it is family, and if it's family, we already talked about that, or if it is a stranger, you talk about that. I can't even tell you how I've I've done a little bit of this discussion at our our church back home. We did a couple weekends on it, not seven sessions, um, and it was amazing to me how many people felt relieved right away, just just being able to go, oh, so if they don't know Jesus, I can actually approach that a little bit differently than if they do. It's like, oh yeah, 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 you can. It's okay. That's what we see Jesus doing. Okay, good. All right, let's continue on. All right, that's where we are. Let's continue on. Um, Some of you may be like me in that when you are confronted with someone in our society that you don't agree with, uh, they have a different truth than what I do. I naturally want to fight. Now, some of you might be, might be flighters. Some of you are fighters. Don't raise your hand. I learned early on in high school that I was a fighter not a flighter. I was in um, a haunted forest, which I'd never been to again. There's enough evil in the world. I don't need to do that. But I went with a bunch of friends in, in high school, and uh, it was Halloween or the, the night before, or whatever. And we went in this haunted forest, and, and it was awesome, you know, and things are jumping out. There was this moment <clears throat> when someone dressed up, bloody all that, with a chainsaw. wasn't a real chainsaw. They had sound effects of a real chainsaw, Jumped out! I did not even think. Bo! Like I I wasn't even thinking. And the person was like out cold, and like they take off the mask, and it's like this middle-aged woman. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, I I'm sorry. I you know I'm 17. I didn't know whether I was a fighter or a flighter until that moment. In th- in that moment. I did not turn and run. I turned and decked somebody, a woman, onto the ground. Okay, so some of you, some of you are fighters. You know it. You know it. You get stirred up. And, and you know, sorry, I'm trying to make this mic not be inside my mouth. Okay. Um, some of you are fighters. And so, when social dilemmas happen, uh, I, I like to have this, like, I'm not going to back down. Oh, no, you bringing it? I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it back. You know, I like to just really focus in on that teenager, David, who took out Goliath. Like, it doesn't matter. You can taunt me all day long. I'm coming at you. I like to not back down. But what we learned in our first session is that sort of blanket formula for handling social dilemmas, just bulldozing and not backing down as much as some of us want to do that, That's not what we see Jesus do. That, though it may be hard for some of us, um, he doesn't just fight back all the time. That's not what he does. And if that's hard for some of us to digest, I have to, you know, it's okay because even the the disciples who were with Jesus for three years still struggled with this, right? Three years in, we're talking three years in, and Peter, the night that Jesus was betrayed, is still whipping out his sword and slashing people, right? So it's gonna take us a bit to get this really inside of us on how do we not just know what is right and wrong, but how we go about applying what is right and wrong it's going to take a second or two, okay? It's okay. It's okay if it doesn't come naturally. Now, the heart behind all of this, I believe, is Jesus never wants his church. We're going to talk about John 17 in a second. It's one of my favorite chapters. Jesus never wants us who follow him, he never wants us to be comfortable alienating discarding or even celebrating separation from the exact people that we're trying to reach the people that jesus literally died for and suffered for and many of us myself included i've I've been there before many of us in the western church are becoming so comfortable celebrating separation judgment from the exact people that we're trying to reach, the sick, the lost, the ones who are the most wrong, the ones who don't understand truth, the ones who are fighting the most, the ones who think they are right, full, full of their own rightness. Jesus never wants us to alienate them. I know that we want to win, but to gain true life, we sometimes must lose our life. And just catching up from last session, it's oftentimes that we can get caught up in focusing on the what instead of the how. And, uh, and that can be a major problem for us. And we see, again, something different in the model of Jesus. For followers of Jesus, there's a difference in how we should be communicating, interacting with those who say they follow Jesus or want to do the will of the Father and those who don't. That's what we talked about right here, social and process. Um. And so let's go ahead and jump right to uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter. 1 Peter 2, 21, chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. This is a, a verse that oftentimes is a hot topic with this whole situation. 1 Peter chapter 2. To this you were called, verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Notice again, not just lecture notes of all the list of right and wrongs, but an example, a full-bodied witness following what the Father was asking him to do, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he fought back. No, he didn't. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, with family, challenge, and empower, that verse in of itself was a challenging verse to those who followed him. Remember, there is an entire people group under siege, pretty much, from Rome, enslaved almost, especially at this point later on, you know, especially when she's past 70 AD and, and the burning of the temple and all that destruction. And yet, there's a call from the older, wiser, a little more mellowed out Peter saying, hey, remember, remember, Jesus didn't retaliate. That had to really be hard. That had to be really challenging for some of his followers. And for strangers, we're going to provide. And we're going to respect, again, where they are. And so, no matter whether you follow Jesus or not, you know what every human wants? Every human wants to be cared for, wants to be sacrificed for in some way. And Jesus was able to respect where they were. And part of that respect is just entrusting. Remember, God, it says several times, Paul talks about this. Other times it says in the book of Psalms, God is the avenger. God is the avenger. And so even when like we need to forgive somebody, forgiveness is not saying that what they did was right or that we can truly totally trust them now. No, forgiveness is just releasing the right to get even. You release the right to get even, and you're giving that right back to God. God, you're sovereign, you know all. I'm giving the right to get even back to you. You do whatever you need to do. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's entrusting all the wrong things. They were very wrong. They they, they made him suffer. They hurled insults at him. All of that was wrong. He had the right to retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges, judges justly. And that's oftentimes where that respect comes in, dusting off the sandals, moving to the next village we talked about yesterday. All that is is I'm not only respecting the individual, I'm respecting the one who judges. I'm not going to take his place. I have so much respect for God. I'm going to give him that. I'm entrusting him who judges justly. And I'm walking away. Okay? After further processing and reflection on how Jesus did things, uh, I really do believe that when we do not know the way of Jesus, we weaponize the truth of Jesus. When we do not know the way, the how of Jesus, we oftentimes weaponize the truth of Jesus, and communicating what Jesus says without the way He said it transforms us into being the exact same as the rest of the world. Using our beliefs just as it means to prove that we're right, win an argument. Get what we want or put someone in their place. That is the way of the world. That's not the Jesus way. So if we communicate the what without the way, we become like everyone else and we do not respect God's position. And so as we're starting to understand how uh, some, some of this works as Jesus entered into dilemmas, I want to call out maybe an elephant in the room uh, for some of us. And this is a question that I've gotten multiple times in this topic. Ted, why do we even gauge this at all? Like seriously, why do we, I don't have time for this. I don't have energy for this. I don't have attention. I don't, I don't want to pay attention to all the stuff happening in the world. Like, I only have a, a, a finite amount of time, energy, attention. I don't, I don't want to spend it on all of this. Why enter into conflict at all? Why, what's the point? What is to accomplish in all of this? And that's a very legitimate question. What's the goal of entering into all of this? Well, you see, even just a cursory look at Jesus' ministry and what he called his followers to do to go and make disciples of all nations, it's inevitable that conflict is going to arise. It's inevitable that disagreements are going to happen. We see it all through the book of Acts. You read the book of Acts? Oh my gosh. Paul, Barnabas, John, Mark. There's all kinds of uh, arguments, conflict amidst the believers themselves, much less anyone else. So we know that conflict and disagreement often lead to disunity. More than just a disruption, many times it becomes a division. And this is where I know some of us, some of us, you've lived through that. You've lived through a church split. You've lived through uh, things happening within your your church or the church you grew up in that you're like, that should never happen in church. There's church baggage. I get all that. Um, and it's just not, it's not how Jesus intended it to be. See, we see in John chapter 17, this is of course, uh, John 17 is as Jesus, uh, the last supper just happened, the Lord's supper just happened, and they're walking right back over to the Garden of Gethsemane the night that Jesus was betrayed, and this is part of that prayer walk, or maybe he's actually praying some of this in the garden, um, but he says this, My prayer is not for them alone, talking about his current followers. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's many of us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Literally, Jesus is about to die. His followers are about to abandon him in some way. This is one of his final moments of pleading. Not the final, but one of the final moments of pleading with his heavenly father. So this is a really big deal. What is he so concerned about that he's got to be just pleading with with God the Father please 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 I, I want this notice his greatest concern for his followers was not something about beliefs or doctrine it wasn't a what but it was about division it was about disunity it was about disruption in the relationship that we have with God and with each other it was a how process how we can be unified because unity is for the purpose of the world believing in him now unity does not mean uniformity it's not the same it doesn't mean we agree on every single thing we we probably all have different carpet colors in our churches it's okay it's okay some of us have pews some of us have seats some of us use hymnals some of us have a band i mean it's it's all kinds of things but we have to understand that Jesus makes his goal for social dilemmas very clear. His goal is all about relationship. Relationship with him, with the Father, and some level of relationship unity amongst his followers. So we look at a social dilemma process. I'm running out of room. We look at a social dilemma process. We have to understand that God's goal, God's goal in all of this is relationship. It's relationship. Why? So that the world will know that He is God. So that the world will know. And this goal of relationship is for people who follow Jesus, for the family. But that's obviously also the goal for the stranger. I mean, just to, to have a relationship with God, to, to start that. And we know this because of, you know, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved just the family. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then moving on, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Relationship has always been the goal. And this is where we get to the root of, of this whole process. This, this was, has been the most convicting thing for me as I've, as I've prepared all of this. As if I had studied through all the Gospels and looking at all different social dilemmas. The most convicting thing for me is when I am in the middle of a social dilemma, is my goal in my heart, truly relationship. And most of the time, confession, nah, I'd, I'd rather just be right. And they would get it. That's not okay. If God's goal is relationship, then if my goal is anything else, then I'm outside the goal of God. That's convicting to me. Any sort of social dilemma process. In my heart, the goal must be, okay, with the family, how can I help there be a greater relationship with God and with each other in this and with the stranger? Okay, how am I trying to uh, go about this where there might be a a relationship with God in some way? Are we progressing down that road? Is it really about growing relationship? Because God doesn't just love the family, he loves strangers too. We see that very, very clearly in John 3, 16 and 17. So let's take this goal, again, of God and move it into the topic of social dilemmas, disagreement. We have to understand, when it comes to what and how, and when it comes to the, the being right or having a relationship, both of those cannot be at the top priority at the same time. One of them will win out. You can either lay into it and make sure that you're right or you can lay into the relationship one of them has to be primary one of them has to be secondary now it can be a really close second but only one can be at the top which is why again we see in three sixteen and 17 God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world that is a right wrong judgment by the way condemnation a right wrong judgment but to save the world through him through a relationship with him. And so it seems like relationship is greater than being right, at least at some level, the how, the way of Jesus seems to be a higher priority than the what, than just the right and wrongness. Now again, uh, some of you may be having a visceral reaction to this, and like, okay, Ted, are you saying that, you know, what's right and wrong is not important absolutely not absolutely it is completely important it is a very close second but again it goes back to our hearts and our mouth speaks what the heart is full of and I have seen it over and over and over what is in our hearts will eventually come out and this ultimately is not a social this is not a social dilemma it is a heart dilemma that is the Christian journey our heart wanders, wants things that aren't of God. Every social dilemma usually starts with a heart dilemma before we even interact. What do I really want in this? And so this sets the scene again for a familiar story for some of us. But anytime we interact with Scripture, um, we always want to start with God and... I might have heard this story a million times, but your word is fresh and new. Search me and know me. And so as we enter into the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17, let's see what God wants to say to us. Another social dilemma. We want to be equipped. God help us. Mark 10, verse 17 starts. As he was setting out on a journey, as Jesus, a man ran up to him, and knelt before him, and asked him, this Jesus, good, good teacher, what shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? Okay, let's just pause a second. Uh, many of you, or some of you know that the, the Bible was, of course, written to a, a first century audience, and there's all kinds of con- contextualization that needs to happen historically, and so it's interesting right here that, first of all, Men didn't run a lot. <laughs> I had a couple of jokes in my head right now about current day. Men not running, but that's, it's, it's not helpful. Um, in those days, men did not run up to another guy, especially a person of power. Right? We see this also in the prodigal son stuff, when the father was running out of the house, the same sort of idea. Um, but men didn't run. This man is running up to him because that was embarrassing and it was a sign of weakness and knelt before him. You don't have a lot of kneeling. Have you ever noticed in Scripture you don't have a lot of kneeling? You don't have people kneeling before other people. You do in Revelation, a couple other places. You don't have a lot of kneeling going on. You do in in Joseph's dream and a couple other things, but it's a very odd thing that there was going to be kneeling happening. "'Good teacher, what shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life?' Um, Again, in Jewish culture, no one was good except for God. So this person is is basically almost claiming that Jesus is God, sort of, or he's trying to butter him up. Not not sure what's happening. But not just teacher, good teacher. Another odd thing in this comment. And then what shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? Interesting thing about this question. No one... Not even his disciples had asked this question yet. And this is the most important question. And no one's asked him this question yet. No one. But this man has. Now, we find out that he is a rich young ruler, is the title usually of this section. So in those days, uh, if you were rich you had control. If you were a ruler, obviously you had some level of control. And yet, he's he's running up, he's kneeling down, he's asking this question. Clearly, he's a bit insecure about the things he can't control. Eternal life. And so let's continue on. But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So again, Jesus isn't ready to reveal himself fully here. So he doesn't want to claim to be God. That would have probably led to some stoning and all that stuff. So he, he kind of pushes off that for the moment. Also, notice how this man, this rich young ruler, connects good, good teacher with what shall I do? As if what we do is connected with eternal life. Notice the faulty assumption there. That that it's all about my behavior, it's about what I do. It's the right and wrongness, maybe, about what I do that leads to eternal life. And Jesus was not going to make that connection. And so we continue on. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, drop the good, which he's learning. Um, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Basically, uh, I've done everything right. I'm awesome. I've done everything right. He's got to be feeling pretty good about himself at this point. And notice Jesus does not disagree with him, Jesus does not disagree. He's not nitpicking right and wrong. He's not focusing on little, little tiny differences in in the what category. It's not what he's focusing on. No, Jesus has a higher priority. And his priority, his goal, is relationship. Relationship. And so, this guy claims to be part of the family. So let's see what he's going to do. How is he going to challenge him? Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him. Jesus clearly had compassion. Uh, some of you might be reading from different translations, have a couple different words in there. Um, but this, this is the only time in, the, in all the book of Mark that Jesus has this phrase of showed love in, in, this, in this agape root, showed love to someone like this coming up to him. So it's a very genuine, I, I have compassion for you. I want relationship with you. This is not a hypocrite that he's looking at, right? It's not a hypocrite. He, he responded very differently to hypocrites. You can read, other parts of the gospels. He said, "One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me." It's remarkable the way that verse starts looking at him. This looking at him is a intensified version of it's it's not just it's not just a glance. It's like an eye-to-eye looking, like a locking in, you really want to know? <laughs> you ask the question, do you really want to know? I have love for you. I want relationship. And this is a heart dilemma. At the root of every social dilemma is a heart dilemma. It says your, your heart has been replaced. You're, you're not worshiping God alone. You're breaking the first commandment, actually, which is was not part of the ones that he talked about. You have another God. For this guy, it happens to be money. But it's amazing. Humanity has an unbelievable power to put anything on the throne of our hearts. Not just money. Money's a, a pretty big arch enemy, but anything can be. Even, even doing what is right and wrong. Focusing on the what? What is good what is evil, and making sure we're focused completely on what is good and what is bad. And there's a story early on about a couple who focused a little bit too much on their knowledge of good and evil, and uh, it didn't turn out well for them. Instead of just receiving, having a relationship with God, they took it upon themselves to figure out what was right and what was wrong, and it broke relationship with God, with Adam and Eve. This is not a new dilemma. He said, go, go and sell all you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. He challenged him, and there was a promise of empowerment. You'll have treasures in heaven. Uh, I just, I feel like we need to pray right now. Let me, let me just pray. God, uh, right now, I want to make sure we pause and again, for, for this person, it happens to be money. But God, is there anything, <clears throat> even though we might be doing a lot of, of right things, is there anything right now that is blocking our relationship with you? Anything that we've put on the throne of our heart instead of relationship with you? We just put that on our hearts, our minds, Lord. And I'm, I'm just going to, as we continue to pray, I'm just going to suggest a few things, God. And if any of this is true for any of us, just, just I don't know, make it sticky on their heart. Just, just put a little bit of weight on it for them that they might, again, in your gentle, convicting way, um, you'll let us know. God, uh, for some of us, it might be our job. God, what about uh, retirement? Retirement. Possessions, Youth Sports, Reputation, and Lord, anything else? Power, being right. not failing. And so God, if you put any of this on our heart or mind, we just want to confess it right now to you, just between you and me, just just between you and each one of us in our own head, in our own heart, using our own language, God, we just say, uh, I, I see it. I'm sorry. I don't want that anymore. I want to sell that And follow you. And so, Lord, help me in that. Cleanse me. Wash me clean from that. And, Lord, please, just restore your truth to me right now. Just for each one of us, God, just remind us of how you feel about us. And the relationship that you truly want to have with us. And God, please just get back on the throne in our hearts, please. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the astounding things about this story, the rich young ruler, is... The fact that uh, he was deeply dismayed by these words that Jesus said, and he went away grieving. Grief is not a head thing, it's a heart thing. At the root of every social dilemma is a heart dilemma. This rich young ruler had a heart problem. For he he was one who owned much property. And Jesus... Once the determination was made, thought he was acting like he was part of the family. But he wasn't a part of the family. Jesus had provided him the truth, provided him the exact answer, but then did not chase after him. Just respected where he was. That is a scary thought that Jesus will just let me walk away if I don't pay attention. Now, of course, he's pursuing us and all that, but I mean, this, this scenario, it's incredible. And for me as a father, for me as a pastor, for me as a disciple maker, which if you if you say yes to Jesus, then you are a disciple maker. That's, that's what we're doing, um, building a relationship with God and with others and helping people do the same then what's interesting is if we just focus on doing all the right stuff, following all the right rules, then even if we get all that right in our children or grandchildren or people in our church, whatever, even if we get all that right and we don't establish true heart relationship that's ongoing every day, the best we'll ever get is a whole bunch of rich young rulers. That's the best we'll ever get. People that are doing all the right stuff. Almost. But they look really good. They're, they're checking the boxes. They know the answers to the quiz questions. But they have a heart dilemma. And they may not even know it. And that that's very convicting to me. And why, again, we cannot just focus on what is right and wrong. We must focus on the following the how the way of jesus it is a tragedy to focus too much on the what instead of the how of relationship again this this whole conversation wasn't just about money stealing our hearts it's it's about vulnerability that we all have for our hearts to be stolen or distracted by any number of things so we that's what we just prayed about and if God puts something on your heart, man, I just pray, that write it down somewhere. Don't lose that. Pray about it this week. Um, and this man walked away. And we don't hear anything, we don't know what happened to this guy. It's Rich Young Ruler, right? Um, and from my biblical perspective, at least, I know we may not share all of this, but from my biblical perspective, what's really hard for me is sometimes when I respect someone else's decision, Listen, choices are sacred. Choices are sacred because choices establish a direction. And a direction leads to a destination. And that destination is eternal. So it's really hard for me sometimes to respect where someone is, knowing where eternity is. And that's another social dilemma, hell. Man, there's a lot of discussion about hell. Hell. And whether it's real or not or whatever. And um, I, I said this to a bunch of uh, high schoolers at a camp uh, who were asking me questions about hell and talking about this story and what happened to this guy. And, well, we don't really know, but if, if this, this, and this, then this is what eternity looks like. And, and they said, how, how could a loving God, you know, make someone go to hell and, and all this? And I said, oh oh, well, that's not how it works. No, he doesn't make people go. He lets them go. And they're like, "What?" I said, "Oh no, he is crazy in love with people, but they're just not in love with him. They're really going to hate heaven. It's all about him. Heaven is full of—it's a place full of people who are in love with God." And then I talked to some of the young women. I said, "Hey, uh, don't raise your hand, but have you ever had someone that like was r- a guy that was really into you?" but you weren't into him. And I said, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your, don't put them down. That's what I said. But like, and don't point, you know, that'd be really bad. Really bad. But some guy is like really into you and buying you flowers and writing all these notes. And, and it's not even a creepy guy, just a guy. And, uh, and, but you're just not, you're not into him and you don't want to do the things he's doing. And And day after day and week after week, this guy is just flowers and all this stuff. At some point, the most loving, you're so annoyed and, ah, get away from me. At some point, the most loving thing that guy could do is leave you alone. He said, that's hell. At some point, the most loving thing that a loving God can do is leave you alone. You don't want him. He made it very clear. Eternity is you get what you want. You get what you want in this life. And again, it goes back to choices. And ultimately, it goes back to heart dilemmas that we have. Now, Jesus continues on in the book of Mark. And uh, cracks a little joke about a camel and the eye of a needle and... Jesus loves to use hyperbole, and uh, just to make that things clear, this difficulty again not because of money per se, right? I mean, we have Joseph of Arimathea. There are there are plenty of wealthy people, Lydia, some others that we see in the New Testament. They have plenty of money. It's not money itself, right? It's it's the emphasis of it. It's What is on the throne of your heart? What are you pursuing? What does your heart truly want? Where does your heart find security and trust and hope? And for the rich young ruler, it was money, yes, but it was also about what what all the right stuff he did. Wherever we put our trust, wherever we put our trust, we'll become a rival to God in our lives. Wherever we put our trust, we'll become a, a rival. Uh, I talk about worship being a relationship of reliance upon someone or something. Um, a relationship, a trust. And it can be, we can be reliant on many, many things, and that can become false worship and rival God in our lives. It could be money, job, girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, friend, biological family, we talked about that yesterday with Jesus, politics, education, etc. A relationship with God is impossible when we choose to rely most on something or someone else. It's important to understand that this is one of the reasons why God wants to provide for strangers. Because they may be feeling they have to rely on something else because of the state that they're in. And to have a Christ follower come alongside and go, hey, no, I will help provide for your need. All of a sudden, their reliance on whatever else they were, now they have another option. Oh, this, this friend or this church or this ministry is helping. Well, that's nice. I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder where they're coming from. It's one of the reasons why providing is the first step with strangers, with those that, again, are not already following the way of Jesus. Now, also when you study the Bible, there's literary context, right? So you have the verse, and you look at the, the section, and then the section, you look at the chapter, and the chapter, you look at the book, and the book, you look at the testament, and then the whole biblical narrative, and that a lot of times can give you additional insights on what a scripture is talking about, and God absolutely loves irony. Many of you know the New Testament in particular, a lot of it, even the Gospels, they're not necessarily written in chronological order. They're, they're oftentimes written in topical order. So the, the topics that follow each other are very intentional, very intentional. They might not have happened at noon and then one and then two in the afternoon. And so as you look at the story of the rich young ruler, it's amazing to look at the story right before it, the context of this story. What is God getting at? Well, the story right before is this. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them and and bless them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for such to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Next story, rich young ruler. Says if Jesus, you want an example of this? You want an example of this? Let's take a top of the top person. Rich young ruler. A man who had everything. And let's compare that to children who have nothing. Absolutely nothing. The man who possesses everything still lacks something and only when he sells it, only when he sells all that he has, only when he becomes like a vulnerable child, a child who possesses nothing, a child who has nothing, will he possess all that he truly needs. Children have nothing and yet they lack nothing. (laughs) Just sitting that for a second, that messes with you. God's trying to be very, very clear. His goal is growing relationship because he loves not just the family, he loves strangers too. And it's this goal, and our representing of his love to the world, not condemning, but in a rescuing sort of way, representing his love that is to unify the followers of Christ, not just in what we say, but how we say it. In our hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. I will finish here gentleness and respect. You know, children don't go up to crabby people very often. I mean, your child might be the exception. Oh, there's a really mean guy. I'm going to go run up to him. Isn't it fascinating that children were trying to get to Jesus? There's something about this gentleness, this respect, this love that cannot just be up here. It's got to be flowing out of us. Even to the point where children sense it. Children are unbelievable detectors of gentleness and love that's that's who Jesus is that's who Jesus was and it's the same person who entered into the the very next social dilemma children around him that's the image God the Father wants us to have of Jesus children laughing playing wanting to be around Jesus which means he's probably not just standing there like this you know or oh I mean he's probably playing with them, making faces you know being that guy, or else, or else children would not be coming up to him. To have that image of Jesus and then step right into this rich young ruler story, the social dilemma story, and Jesus looking at this man, and with love, just wanting relationship. What does that do for us and our heart's dilemma as we enter into social dilemmas? That's the image that I want to leave us with. We're going to pick up there. Um, we're going to pick up speed a little bit with, with several more social dilemmas tonight. But just, just sit in that and be thinking, um, how can I grow relationship in every interaction that I'm in? Let's pray. God, uh, that is our heart. If relationship is not our goal, then I'm outside your goal. I'm outside the goal of God. And I know there may be a time where I just have to respect where someone is and and walk away, still gently, still kind. And I can pray that they will establish relationship with you in some way. And the way I went about it, the way I went about that interaction probably established some form of relationship with me. God, I just pray. This is this is the epitome of self control. Many times, and I just pray again that you work on us. If there is anything in us, God, that has a different goal, a different mindset, than a relationship, just just continue to work that out. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen.